0: back to that and do some of that. But but this week we've got something special happening. So uh, Tyler and Felicia over here and Paul back there and I think Alex is here somewhere maybe. These guys are getting ready to go on a missions trip to Africa and, and we want to pray them out. How many of you want to do that? And and so, uh, but John Kreutzer sent me this email and asked me a really good question about how, what's a scriptural way we can pray for these guys? Um, because I think sometimes we might have misconceptions about some of that, and, and look, I want to, how many of you want to pray scriptural prayers? I mean, I, I, I want, and I want to pray effectively. I don't want to just pray as a, as a religious ritual. I believe that praying changes stuff, and so it's not like that there's one right way to pray or something, and, and we never want People to feel condemned because maybe you prayed in some maybe unscriptural way or something like that. But we can all grow in our prayer life. And I certainly don't know everything there is to know about all this stuff, but I do understand some some basic principles. And and the issue really is it's a spiritual warfare issue. And so um, the Bible's pretty clear that there is a spirit realm. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 12, which says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Well, that's a remarkable scripture if you think about it. Paul says that the struggle that we face in life, it really isn't with other people. <laughs> People aren't really our problem.' What's, what the real problem is that there are principalities and powers there are there are demonic forces that are behind a lot of the terrible things that go on in the world. And he calls them you know rulers of, of the darkness. Look at Daniel chapter 10. this gives a, about as, Crazy and expl- a picture of this as there is in the Bible. Um, Daniel chapter 10. So in Daniel, Daniel's been taken captive into Babylon, and he serves various kings there, and he has a, a vision. And he's trying to pray to the Lord because Jeremiah had prophesied that the nation of Israel would go into captivity for 70 years. And they're reaching the end of that, and Daniel is asking the Lord because he, he wants to get out of there, <laughs> and he doesn't want to serve Babylon anymore, and he's trying to figure out when, you know, when this whole thing is going to happen, and so he's praying to seek the Lord about it. And notice these scriptures. In ver- t- chapter 10, we'll start at verse 10, actually. So an angel shows up, and it says, Behold, a hand touched me which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands, and he said to me, Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I'm about to speak to you, and stand upright, for am, I am sent to you. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. You know, sometimes people wonder why people tremble and fall down in whatever church. I mean, if you encounter an angel or the Spirit of God, I mean, it's a natural reaction to Freak out a little bit, all right? So anyway, then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and chastise yourself before the Lord, your words were heard, and I am come to you. Now, this is really interesting. He says, from the first day you started to pray, God sent me to answer your prayer. Everybody see that? But then it says this, verse 13, "...but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, for until, lo, Michael, one of the chief priests, came to me, and I, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. But now I am come to make you understand what shall befall your people in the latter days, for the vision is yet for many days." Right, we don't, I'm not focused on that. What I want you to see is that here, I mean, this is a remarkable thing to think about. So Daniel prays, and that sets about something in heaven where God says to an angel, I want you to go down there and answer, answer Daniel's prayer. And then this angel, on his way down there, apparently is intercepted by this demon, the Prince of Persia. And then they're fighting, and he can't get through to Daniel until Michael comes and helps him. That's what it says. So, what's all that mean? I think I'm going to do a series about it later, because I've been studying this. But one thing it means is this. There is a spirit realm, and it's not a peaceful place. And there are personal forces that are trying to assist the plan of God, and there are personal forces that are trying to resist the plan of God. And in our Western thinking, this is something that I've read, that, that people in other countries have, have made a valid criticism of, of us. This guy that pastors this major church in Brazil, he, he wasn't being mean, but he said, in, a, in America... You only ever think about God and the devil, and you never think about the angels or the demons. You never invite the angels to help you, and you never pay any attention to the fact that there might be a, a demon opposing you. And I thought, well, that's that's a valid criticism. I think a lot of t- I know in my own thinking, I tend to just think about God or the devil and and whatever. But as you study the Scripture, it's clear that there are there's not just there's, there is the prince of demons, there is Satan, but there's a bunch of underlings. And I think based on Psalm 82 and some stuff in Genesis that maybe I'll we'll teach about later, it seems as though that, that different parts of the earth have been placed under the charge of, of these. Originally, God did it of, of angels, but many of these fell. And so there are, there are nations that are in bondage, like I think of like North Korea. You know, you, you read, I read about a guy in North Korea that just laid on a mat for three days without moving to keep from starving because he didn't want to exert any energy. Now, there's, there's, you understand there's plenty of food in the earth. Why is there not any in North Korea? Well, I'm sure a variety of reasons, but mostly it's because that place is a totalitarian dictatorship and the guy in charge of it's nuts. But, but what, the, what the deal is, is those leaders have made agreement with demonic ways of thinking about governance. Now, I'm not saying they're necessarily demon-possessed, but as we're going to see here in a minute, you can, you can think... In godly ways or you can think in demonic ways and when you have leadership in a nation that agrees with wrong ways of thinking it brings bondage to the people one of the reasons that we're so blessed in this country is that our founding fathers they got together with the Bible and with Greek philosophy and they created a system of government which isn't perfect but which uh, values a lot of the things that God values like individual sovereignty and freedom and, and personal property rights and all these kinds of things now the country's not perfect but it sure is heck better than North Korea okay that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that the, we're better people than those people. They're just the same as us. But but their leadership has made agreement with terrible ideas. Okay? So that's not a statement about race or anything like that. It's a statement about ways of thinking. Some ways of thinking are good. Other ways of thinking are bad and are damaging. That shouldn't be a controversial statement. Okay, so... The reality is that there is this spirit realm and that there are forces that are trying to oppose the plan of God. I mean, this is just true. There are spiritual forces that do not like you and that are trying to keep you from doing what God told you to do. Now, we don't want to focus on that too much. We don't want to try to chase a demon behind every bush or... or freak out about this stuff, but we need to realize that this stuff is real. And the question is, how do we pray effectively in light of that reality? And moreover, how can we pray for people that are going out to do some sort of ministry work? So there have been innumerable books written about spiritual warfare. I mean, if you, if you go to you know, I, I like how if you go to the bookstore, there's like the charismatic section. You know, it's usually over in the corner, but no, no, not really. But, but there's a, you know, there's a section and then there's the spiritual warfare section. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's been written about this. And like any topic, I think there's probably a lot of it that's really good. And then there's probably some of it that might be a bit flaky. And... uh you know, I have a lot of grace, honestly, for stuff that's flaky because most of the time what that is is just people with zeal trying to go do something. And God forbid that we just, we especially a lot of times it's young people and they're just trying to go after something and believe God and maybe they did something a little weird and they need to be shepherded or stewarded or something. I know I've been like that. I still go to my pastor. I have two pastors that oversee me and I have zeal for stuff and I've done some stuff that looking back I'm like wow that was that was not right that wasn't that wasn't smart but you know I did it I had zeal okay and so I'm I'm for zeal you just have to couple it with wisdom and and I don't pretend to know everything there is to know about spiritual warfare at all but I'm I'm what I like to call a pragmatic theologian and what I mean by that is I just believe in doing what works So if you're doing something and it helps you, even if I might think that it doesn't have a clear scriptural warrant, I'm not going to come criticize you. I mean, if you want to spin in a circle seven times and blow a shofar and do, you know, if that helps you do spiritual warfare, I'm I'm happy. Go for it. Okay? But the thing is, you, you you don't want to make a formula out of it. And you don't you don't want to get so lost in doing a bunch of weirdness that you you lose sight of of what the the clear principles are of what you're trying to achieve. Now, I mean, I've done some stuff. I mean, i've I was praying one time, and I was, anybody ever prayed real zealously? I mean, I'm yelling, you know, into the into the spirit, and i'm I'm believing God and speaking truth and doing warfare, you know, and and so then, I had this picture come into my head of Elisha. And you remember Elisha, one time he he got these arrows and he told the king, he said, these are the arrows of victory. And he said, now strike the ground with them. And so the guy took the arrows and he struck the ground three times. And Elisha got on his case big time. And he said, well, you should have struck the ground five or six times because that's how many victories you're going to have. Now you're only going to have three victories. And and it's not going to be good. And so there's this symbolic act that affected something in the spirit realm. And so I, I was, had that come into my head, and I felt like I was supposed to strike the ground while I was praying. So I took my hand, I'm like, I'm not going to strike the ground just a few times. I'm going to get with it. And so I'm striking the ground till my hand hurt. <laughs> and I got after it. I'm like, Ugh. now, Now, if you ask me, Pastor, what what do you think that accomplished? To be honest with you, I don't really know. It seemed necessary at the time, (laughs) and the church is still here, and we're still blessing people and helping people. Okay, so I think it did something in the spirit, but I don't really know. But I would say this is like I'm not going to make a formula out of that, and I'm not going to put faith in in some weird symbolic act that I felt like doing. I'm going to put faith in Jesus. Now, the thing to understand, though, is that as you, as you study, one thing you can do to understand spiritual warfare is, is study the, the wars that Israel fought. Because what goes on in those wars is often a picture of what's going on spiritually. It just played out in the physical realm back then because Jesus hadn't come yet, And so once Jesus came, then now the war has shifted to the spirit realm because we can actually do something about these demonic rulers. Because before Jesus, we didn't have authority to to deal with it. But, But you'll notice as you study the way that Israel won victories, it was never the same way. Now, how many of you have heard this statement, that Hezekiah sent out the worshipers first, and that won a victory? How many of you have heard that? Okay, so should we send the worshippers first? Sure. I'm for it. But is it a formula? If you study the, there's no scriptural warrant to say that's the re, the way you bring breakthrough 100% of the time. I know that's not fun to hear. As you study the thing, there are other times that they won through deception. They hid liars in wait, then they faked them out, and then they turned around and fought. Other times they won just by going straight up there and, and killing people. Other times, they dug a ditch in the ground. One time, they dug some ditches, and God made it rain, and it looked like blood, and it confused the enemy. Another time, Gideon went out there with, and made a bunch of noise, and the enemy was confused, and they all killed each other. Okay, what's all that show you? It shows you there's not one way to get the victory. Okay, now you can look at those principles and you can apply some of them, but what one should you do? Well, you've got to maintain a vital relationship with the Lord so you can hear what you need to do. Otherwise, you're just running around like a crazy person trying to figure out what the, what the magic sauce is to fix your problem. And that, that just makes you feel stressed out. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I mean, I love doing worship first, but we've had great services where I preached and then we had worship. Okay, so you can, I mean, there's not formulas. You, you just, so all that being said, that was a big disclaimer. That was the introduction. <laughs> all that being said, what are some things that can give us guidance for how we should pray and seek to defeat the, the spiritual forces of darkness? okay. Well, you've got to understand where the war is and what you're trying to do. So 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. So Ephesians 6 and 2 Corinthians 10 are the, the big spiritual warfare chapters. So anyway, in verses 3 through 5 it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. "...for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds." So how many of you want to pull down the strongholds of the enemy? Sure. Okay, well, what are they? Well, it says, "...casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ." Spiritual warfare is primarily about the realm of ideas. It's about how we think. Why does worship help in spiritual warfare? I mean, I think, I think there's truth to the fact that the demons don't like the music and whatever, but, but if you're doing worship right, you're singing truth. You're declaring truth. You're making agreement with a godly idea, and you're disagreeing with an ungodly one. That's what warfare looks like. It's just to music, so it's easier. Now, there's other reasons to sing. We also sing to worship the Lord and all that, so that's actually the primary reason to do it. But if we're talking about warfare. So. But it says you're supposed to cast down imaginations. You're supposed to cast down... Wrong, wrong ways of picturing, wrong ways of picturing your future, wrong ways of picturing your family, wrong ways of picturing your country. You're, you're supposed to think right, you're supposed to think like the Lord, and to do that, you've, you've got to cast down these wrong things. So individuals, families, communities, and nations are in bondage to demonic forces to the extent that they believe lies and not the truth. I'm going to say that again. Individuals, families, communities, and nations are in bondage to the devil to the extent that they believe lies. Jesus robbed, he he didn't rob, he, he won back the authority from the devil. So the devil has no legal right to oppress people anymore, but when people agree with the stuff that he's saying they give their authority over to him, and, they, and then therefore they have a right to be oppressed at that point. Yes. That's pretty simple, right? So this is why, then, Paul's primary form of spiritual warfare, it really wasn't so much praying as it was preaching the gospel and doing miracles. So 1 Corinthians 2, let's read this. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, it says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. So how did Paul bring revival? How did he change cities? How did he change families? How did he change individuals? Really, he did two things. He told them the truth, and then he prayed for people, and miracles happened. That's really the strategy, and you can see this in his life. Look at Acts 19. This is, I think, the biggest and best picture of what revival and and what um, spiritual warfare can look like. This is the long passage of Scripture, but I'm going to read it to you. Acts 19, verse 1 says, It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper coast and came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples, and he said... Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, We have not even as much heard <laughs> whether, there, whether there be any Holy Spirit. That's, that's funny. But anyway, when I was growing up, you know, they, they told my mom not to talk about the Holy Spirit because somebody might turn into a holy roller or something. I don't know. They were scared he was going to jump on somebody. But anyway... And, and he said unto them, Under what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. And then Paul, Paul said, John baptized people unto repentance, saying to people that they should believe on him who should come after, that is Christ Jesus. And when they heard that, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And then Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Ghost came on them. Everybody say, The Holy Ghost Amen. came on them. Hallelujah. And then they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 of them. Okay, so that's a miraculous phenomena. And then he went into the synagogue, and he spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So he goes in there, and he starts telling people the truth, and he's, he's disputing. And so this, this is in Ephesus. It's in Greek and Greece. And so there's all these people there that are philosophers and smart people and this is what they do is sit around and think about stuff think about ideas and Paul says I'm gonna go in there and do warfare but he's not punching anybody out he's he's combating their ideas and he's explaining and but it, then it says that different people were hardened and they didn't believe and they spoke evil of Christianity before the multitude and he departed from them so here's his response to this he separated the disciples. And he disputed daily in the school of one Tyrannus. So this really encourages me. What he says is, look, some people weren't understanding, so what he did is he went and got a few people, not a huge amount of people, and he sat them down and he started to explain the gospel, and he grew them up and helped them mature. And the result of that, as you read on, it says, this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Well, how do you think everybody heard the word of the Lord? Not everybody came to the school, but he explained it to this small group of people, and their lives were changed, and they went out and told everybody. And then God, in verse 11, worked special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought brought under the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases parted from them, and the evil spirits went out. And then we have this thing with the seven sons of Sceva. And just for the sake of time, skip down to verse 19. It says, Many of them which used curious arts, that's talking about witchcraft, they brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them, and they found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Man, that's encouraging. So... What's the, why is it so significant that they're burning these books? I mean, I'm happy that they're renouncing witchcraft, but you've got to understand that books, I mean, I'm an English teacher, okay? Why are books so powerful? It's because they contain ideas. When they're burning these books, they're saying, I am breaking agreement with these demonic ideas about life, about how to do life, and I'm going to embrace this new way of thinking, which Paul's preaching, which is called the gospel. That's spiritual warfare. And, you know, it was so powerful that later in Ephesus, in Ephesians, when Paul writes him a letter, he has no word of correction. Everybody else, telling, he says, you know, guys, I love you, but you're screwing some stuff up over here. But, but to the Ephesians, he doesn't have anything a word of correction because they, they repented so mightily and he had such great breakthrough there. So you can see that there's several strategies all right, involved in this. Number one, the first thing that happens is he gets some people, a small group of people, and he gets them filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how revival starts. It's not a huge amount of people, but some, you know, some people. He gets it, and, and that's a big part of spiritual warfare is you want to have an ongoing encounter with the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 28... Um, we won't turn there, but in verse 12 there's this description of this ladder where the angels of God are going up into heaven and then they're coming back down. Now you don't want to make a huge doctrine out of this, but why would they need to, why would they need to go up and then, and then come back down? I think that what they're doing is they're going up and getting in the presence of the Lord and being supercharged, if you will, by his presence and then coming back down and fulfilling whatever it was that God assigned them to do. You know, you see that modeled in Jesus' life where he'd pull away and he'd go pray and he'd seek the Lord. Now, do you understand? They're always in fellowship. They're always connected. It's not like Jesus was getting any more of God or anything like that. But if you've done any kind of ministry at all, you know that you've got to keep your relationship with God current. And you've got to have a, a vital relationship with the Lord and keep getting back in His presence. Now, I mean, He's, I'm, he, I'm, he's always with me, but I've got to, like, pay attention. <laughs> okay? I've got I've to go into the secret place with the Lord and have Him fill me back up and recharge me. Otherwise, I'll burn out. So I think, I think if we're praying for people that are going to go do ministry or going to go do spiritual warfare or whatever, the number one thing I want to pray is that they will be filled with the Holy Spirit again, and that they will, will be supercharged with the power of God, because when you have encounters like that, you see more people healed, you, you preach better, and, you know, good stuff happens. So that's the first thing. And then Paul started to preach. Right? And so he's in there preaching. And the result of all that was that that everybody heard the gospel. So in Acts 4.29, they prayed that people would preach the, the word of God with boldness. You know, you can preach, excuse me, you can pray for boldness. Because the disciples did. So if they did, it's probably legal. So they prayed, God, fill us with boldness, because they were being persecuted. So it's amazing prayer. They'd just gotten in jail and beaten and stuff. They were in trouble because they were preaching the word boldly, right? That's in Acts 3. And then in Acts 4, they get out of jail, and they're like, you know, God, that boldness thing that got us in trouble, why don't you give us some more of that? It's a pretty serious prayer. And they pray, and God answered. God filled them again with the Holy Spirit, and it says they spoke the word with boldness. So I, we're going to practice all this in just a minute. We're going to pray that people will be filled with the Spirit. We're going to pray that they'll preach the gospel boldly, and they also pray that mighty signs and wonders will be done, the Scripture says, in the name of your holy child, Jesus. So we're going to pray that these folks going out, that they're going to see the sick healed, and they're going to see the miraculous occur. All right, I think that's a great way to pray. Then, Ephesians 1 17 through 19 is a prayer for wisdom and revelation. Do you know that if you're gonna preach and you're gonna combat the bad ideas, you've gotta be filled with wisdom? You gotta know what the truth is. And the thing that's different, you know, when I was growing up, we always thought about Africa and stuff. People would say, oh, that's where all the demons live, is in Africa. You know, now I don't. I don't. I don't dispute that that maybe there's some stuff more out in the open over there, but I'm sure there's just as many demons that live here. All right, I've 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 dealt with you know some of them and some of them in some people. So uh, it's just. But there are there are different. There are. I don't think there's more, but I do think there are different demons. Okay, because the lies that people believe here are different than lies that people believe in other countries. Even city to city within the United States, there are certain overarching problems that certain cities can deal with that are different than other places. People always used to joke back in the height of the Word of Faith movement that there weren't a lot of demons left in Tulsa. That was probably true because there was a lot of you know, agreement with truth there, and it's still a great city. There's a lot of, a lot of word there, but, but you know, they, they dealt with one set of problems. Another city might deal with, with something else, but what you've got to understand is that, that it's all the same process. The process is just figuring out what the crazy thing is that they're believing and then countering that with truth. That's all. I mean that now. Th- everything really falls under that heading. Everything we do is it, it ought to be targeted at getting people to believe what's what's true, helping people to do that, removing hindrances, communicating in effective ways. I mean this this is why I labor and spend hours studying the Scripture and practicing how I'm presenting things and stuff like that. Is that I I want to do everything I can to help you believe truth. To the best of my ability. Now, I'm not saying I know everything, but I'm saying, you know, I believe better than I used to. And to the extent that I believe good, I want to help you do that. So so what what can we pray? What's a prayer strategy? We can pray that people will be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, and that they'll they'll understand so that they can preach with clarity. Then 2 Corinthians 4:4 says. That the God of this world has blinded people so that they won't, won't believe and they won't see truth. And that's a real thing. That's not the plan of God. It's somebody, it's a, it's a personal force resisting the plan of God. So, what do you do about that? Well, I think you can pray and you can command the demonic blindness to lift off people's hearts. And so, we're going to pray in just a minute. You know, you don't want to, you never want to go into a, a an outreach or a missionary thing you don't want to go into it with the perspective this is going to be really hard (laughs) and these these people these people don't want to hear God about God they're hard you know you know anytime you hear that and you're going to go do ministry somewhere you got you got to reject that immediately because you're you're coming into agreement with a lie over these people's lives and you don't want to do it's not it's it's not hard. Everybody say this with me. It's easy to do outreach. All right. It's easy to love people in the name of Jesus. So so we can command the demonic blindness to, to leave people's hearts. Now people still have free will. So so there's all that. But we can at least pray that the demonic thing will lift off, so they can see clearly to make a free will decision. So anyway, and then. We also ought to pray for the people being ministered to, that they'll receive revelation and light. And then lastly, Philippians 1, we should also pray for protection and deliverance for people going out. So Philippians 1, verse 19, Paul says, I know that this shall turn out to my salvation through your prayer and the support of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So Paul had an expectation that praying could help him be delivered. Now, we know that he ended up being martyred, but I think there's a variety of reasons for that. But regardless, is he he in his theology, he thought that praying for somebody could help him be delivered from persecution. Everybody see that? So, to me, that means we ought to pray that. Okay? So those are the things that I think we ought to pray as a, as a body of believers, for um, this group that's going out and just for ourselves in general, because everywhere you go is a missions field. You know, you have to do spiritual warfare in your family sometimes because sometimes, sometimes in your family we aren't, we aren't believing right. Other times you might have to do some spiritual warfare in your workplace. Okay, but I, I mean, it's not—it's not necessarily yelling into the air and beating the ground. I mean, I do I, again. I do that, and if you, if it helps, you do it. Okay, but but really, it's it's doing what's necessary, whatever you need to do, to help you and those around you believe truth. Okay, and we don't make a formula out of stuff, and we don't we don't judge people if. If it looks like they're not getting the victory the way we think they should, that's about the silliest thing I've ever heard. All right, we need to let, we need to let go of that. However people, get, however people get well, let's be happy with it. Now, are there certain ways that are easier and probably God's best? Sure, but if they're getting better, if they're getting breakthrough, let's celebrate and let's not stress out so much that it's not aligning with our perfect theology. That's a real pastoral statement. So, okay. That's why, you know, this is why I'm here, to help, help. we got to, you know, deal with real-life issues. Okay, so how many of you want to put into practice what we just talked about? Yeah. Okay, so I love, I love acting on stuff. So, Skylar's going to come up here and pray. If you guys, are, all of you that are coming and going to this, uh, on this trip, just come right down here. Uh, Molly and I are going to pray for you in just a second. But I'm going to have everybody reach out their hands. We're going to pray for them. And, and but so who is it? Felicia? And.